Welcome to Grab Life Big. Grab Life Big. The exclusive podcast for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic life. Or as a few of us say, badass rich guys who do epic shit. And now, your host, Pat Hybin. If this is empty, this doesn't matter. Glad you were home. I'm always home. I'm on cool. Me too. You're doing great, dude. Telling true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're on cool. Is that my advice to you? And I know you think these guys are your friends. If you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. Wrong tribe confounds, the right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. All right, go bros. Got Mr. Dan Lesniak in the house. Dan, welcome to Grab Life Big. Thanks, Pat. I'm I'm glad to glad to be on here. Hey, buddy. Why don't you uh, give everybody a five minute story of uh, Daniel Lesniak from the day you were born up until today? Yeah, that's that's quick. So hopefully I can get it in. But I was born in Northwest Arkansas in Danville, but I didn't live there too long. When we were five, we moved to South Florida, and I, I grew up down there. I had an older sister younger brother, younger sister. So we were a family of, of four kids. And I went to the Naval Academy, got, got the, you know, graduated from there, did my time in the Navy on submarines. I was mostly on the East Coast. I did my training down in Charleston. I was stationed in Kings Bay, Georgia. And then I went, went to the Pentagon for shore duty, did two years there. While I was doing that, I got, a, I got into the the evening MBA program at Georgetown, and I thought I would, you know, get out of out of that and go work for a, a big strategy consulting firm, something like McKinsey or BCG, uh, Bain, you know, all those kind of guys. And my timing was not good. It was around 2010. None of them hired me. I, I got a bunch of interviews. Went went through all of the interview process, but you know, they were just weren't hiring a lot. And uh, at the time, I did have a contracting job with the government, so I was okay. Right, I was I was making okay money, about about a hundred grand, which that gives you a decent lifestyle in, in the DC area. Uh, not not great though. You're not you're certainly not raking it in because cost of living is is high. And uh, you know, I, I kind of got down from on, on myself just because it was like my my worldview paradigm had been shattered a little bit because I I grew up in a household with parents who grew up in the generation where you work hard so you can go to school to get into a good college so that you can then go get a good job and work hard to get another job or, or go back to school. And they were really big on that. And it, it, it worked pretty well for me until one day it didn't. <laughs> and luckily I had bought and sold a, a lot of, a lot of real estate 
leading up to this, uh, just just because when, I, when you're in the Navy, you were buying or, or yeah. Pentagon or just kind of like, yeah, well, all throughout. So I, I used the VA loan. I bought my first home when I was, uh, I think I went under contract when I was 22 and, and mm. probably bought it when I was 23. But uh, that was down in Jacksonville, Florida. And I, I bought three times down there. I made money on two of them, got burnt on the last one because it was uh, it was a condo uh, that, that by the time it was built, it was it, it came it was being finished right at the, the, the height of the market crashing. Mm. So I actually walked on that deposit. Really? How much was it? 45K. Holy dirt. And it, and it had dropped in value that much? Uh, it dropped more than that. I, I didn't know at the time. No, no one really knew how much it, it, it uh, dropped. So this was like February of 07 when I decided to walk on it. Wow. You know, the builder was pushing close, close, close. Uh, you know, my parents, they, they, they didn't understand why I wouldn't. So I was like 26, I think at the time, or just turned 27, maybe. So back then, you know, on a, on a Navy junior officer salary, that was, that was a pretty good chunk of change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd made probably like double that on the first two homes I did down there. So overall, I wasn't like bitter or upset with the real estate experience. Uh, a and B, I knew that was right when I was moving up to DC. So I, I knew that had I made, had, had the market stayed hot and I made money on there, I would have paid just as much or, or if not more for whatever I was going to buy up here. So it, I, I, I wasn't too phased by it. It was a little gut wrenching though to, to walk on it, but I did. And then two years later, I was just kind of randomly bored and looked up the tax records. And I found out the bank took like 12 or 13 of the, the units, and I forget how many were total in the building back from the builder. Wow. They, they put the value on that one at like, at like 225 which was like half of what my contract price. <laughs> so, so I think walking on it turned out to be a pretty, pretty good lesson to learn at a, at yeah. a age. And just, you know, a lot of people struggle with sunk costs, I think, and, and they make bad decisions. They sure do, don't they? Yeah. Even, yeah. And, and I, I just... I don't have an issue with sunk costs at all anymore. <laughs> like, like, but, but I know for, pe- for a lot of people, it's very hard emotionally to, you know, they think of the time, the energy, the money that they put into things. And then right. that leads to further bad decisions. Yeah, and, they, and everybody's got hopium. Everyone wants, you know, it to come back or thinks it's going to come back or, or swears it's going to, you know, things will get better. And it's just an anomaly. Right. And, and maybe it does, but would it, would it, would it be better to then, put that effort resources from that yeah. point forward into something Focus. that would do even better. So yeah. you have to look at. So that, yeah, that was around uh, all, you know, that happened in 2007. The, I got into real estate though around 2011 and as, as a profession, and that's really what kind of changed my life, took it to the, the next level. And I was As buying, an agent, right? Yeah, as an agent. So mm-hmm. I was buying my second home in this area. I think it was my fifth overall and I, I just got the sense that, you know what, I've, I've, I'm, every time I buy, I, do, I get more and more involved with the negotiating, do more with, with like all parties involved. I feel like I know the process pretty well. You know, I'm not getting the, the, the boost in income that I thought I would get by like going and working for one of these big strategy uh, think tanks you know, why, why not just get my license and I'll do it as a side hustle. And, you know, I can make a hundred, 120 grand as a contractor and maybe add another 30, 40 grand a year, uh, doing a couple of real estate deals in the area. 
So that was kind of my mindset. And, and I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder uh, after going through those interviews because a lot of them, when I asked why they didn't make an offer, they said, well, we think technically you'd be okay at the job, but we're not sure if you have the sales acumen that, that would be required because part of consulting is not only providing solutions, but providing long-term, yeah. getting long-term contracts from these guys. Yeah, right. Same thing happened to me. You know, they were, I couldn't get hired because they didn't think I'd be a good salesperson. So, so fast forward now, uh, y- you know, you met Carrie, you guys married, you got three kids and uh, what do you do now? Sure. So now we, we yeah, my, about a year after my, my first, when I started in real estate, I, m- I met Carrie and I sold about 22 million my first year, met Carrie. She, she had a team already. I was building a team. We, we combined forces got got married have, now we have three kids our team has grown we've got about 50 agents and about 30 support staff right now and, and we're looking to get to uh so 80 people total and i think by the end of the year we'll be at 100 and we will probably sell close to 500 million this year i'm not sure where where we'll fall in but somewhere between four and 500 and we're also running d- development in the area so we've got any at any one any moment in time, we've got about six or seven deals going on where we partner with a builder, we raise funds, and you know we're we're, we're building condos and and subdividing single family home lots. So I think right now we've got about twenty units going on in the pipeline. So we do that, and then we do real estate coaching as well. So we started that a year ago uh, under the the brand Hyperfast Agent. So we're doing events and coaching and, and selling online courses as well. So we, we sort of have three different businesses right now, you know, real estate sales, real estate development, real estate coaching. Which one of those three do you like the best? That's a great question. They all, they all kind of do different things for me. Pro- probably the, the real estate development though. Why? That's, that's when I look at the time it takes, like for the, the, and in a way, like, okay, the money and the time, like, those are just, that just crushes everything else. Hmm. Like, sometimes I think I should just not do the other two and just do that. Are they, is that, is, uh, well, is that the most profitable? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the most profitable when you look at how much money we put in, how much money we get out and, and how much time we put in as mm-hmm. well. So like on a typical deal, we'll, we'll raise you know, maybe three, three to four hundred and on equity, and, and then come out with three hundred or so in profit that we split with the builder. And you know, our our deal is like they we help kind of plan the house and and acquire the deal, but then he the builder builds it, and then we sell it. And you know, there's there's just not a, a ton of time involved. I mean, you there. find the lot. Yep. And then he builds the house, and then you do the marketing. Correct. And you split the profits. Yep. And you use other people's money. Yeah, we're we're raising twenty to twenty five percent in in equity, and then getting a bank loan for the rest. Typically, mm-hmm. so we don't have a ton of capital in it. And, and yeah, how, do you, some, how do you pay your some, investors? Yeah, we pay them a twelve to fifteen percent preferred return at the end of the the deal. So, so it's it's kind of like a zero coupon. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, second position. Yeah. What? Okay. So, uh, and then, and then, what kind of systems do you have in place for that? For you know, to have twenty of these going on at once, you know, that's no joke. So, like, what are the systems, and what does the team look like, and all that, just for just for your development arm? Sure. So we're, we're leveraging our existing real estate team. So uh, I have one assistant that runs runs point on all of the 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 back end stuff like communicating to investors communicating with the builder and then our our top salesperson who she'll probably sell like 70 homes this year uh she has an assistant now that's just dedicated to her but she works very very closely with the builder uh, on the acquisition front and on on selling it so she is usually running a, a a pro forma and comps for me. Then I have another teammate do it. So I've got two different independent comps generated on, on every property before we acquire them. And then, then I, I look at both of those and, and do my own as well. So we've got multiple different. And most of these are like old houses you guys are knocking down and then and building bigger or multiple things. Yeah. So in Arlington, it's, it's an old house that we knocked down and we, we put up one bigger one or sometimes two bigger ones or four. It's just, it depends on what kind of lot it is. Now we're also doing a bunch in DC where we're taking row homes and making them into two units or four units, you know, condos. And those are, are quicker and actually have better margins. And, and we've got, so that's, that's how we're getting that many units. So like one of the ones that we just did, it's going to be 11 units. So it's 11 existing apartments and we're converting them to condos. And then you just hire outside management company to be the condo association. The, yeah. I mean, most of these are small enough that they're going to be self self managed. So you don't have common areas or, I mean, like who's paying for the common areas and the roof. Yeah. The, I mean, there'll be a, there'll be a condo association, but it'll, it'll be, self-managed by the residents by the residents okay hmm. interesting cool all right so let's get into dan uh let's talk some nitty-gritty so what percentager are you oh on uh horizontal income versus- yeah, yeah yeah uh last time i calculated it i was i was over 100 so i was i was around i think close to 200 actually close to 200 what are you what are your like personal bills for you and the family of five and all that stuff. With yeah. You. So our, our housing is about, you know, mortgage and just everything associated with housing. everything. Yeah. Even the condo in, in Florida, you know, that would count. Cause it's like, you know, all, all that stuff looped together. Well, the, the condo of Florida is a, uh, that that's paid for by itself just with the, the Airbnb rentals. Oh, you Airbnb it. Okay. Yeah. So I don't, I don't. Really so that doesn't count then. Okay, I, I thought you just left it empty. No, I'm not, I'm not to that level yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's here's that actually books so far in advance, and I like, I like to have flexibility. I, I value flexibility. So does Carrie. That we've found we have to force ourselves to book it like six months in advance for us to use. It's, it's amazing. Been, yeah, it's crazy how how. What part of Florida is it? It's in Deerfield Beach, so okay. halfway between West Palm and Fort Lauderdale. Huh. Okay, so go back to you. So yeah. So living up here, the house is about is about ten grand, and then we've got another uh, 
four to five grand, depends on the hours, but for our, our nanny and childcare a month. And then, you know, we're usually coming in anywhere from five to 10 on our, uh, our, our credit card. So mm-hmm. we're, we're anywhere from 20 to 25 K on, on total monthly expenses. And then most everything else kind of runs through, through the, our business. Okay. So, well, that's great. And then, so the horizontal income, right. That pays that 20, let's say it's 25, which is 300 a year. Where do you get that 300 from? Like, well, actually be 600 if you're at 200 percent or so where's that 50 grand a month like how is that coming in sideways like what what rental properties do you have investments do you have blah blah blah, blah. yeah we have um we, we invest in a lot of real estate funds um so what's that mean so we're in like we're in dave osborne's fund we're we're in cardone capital uh we're in uh two other funds up up in dc that are are doing a multifamily development up, up in this area. We're, we're in another fund that is real estate related technology. So we're, we're in a lot of funds that are delivering anywhere from like 15 to 20% uh, IRR. That you get dividends on, right? Yep. Yeah. But a lot of them are like 6% dividends mm. and, and then... Yeah. The minimum cash. Like, yeah. Like a anywhere from like 60 to 80 percent on a lot of them how's how's cardone capital like is it, how long have you been in that one that one's new we i think we invested in it in april so oh so you really haven't had enough time to track paying, it and yeah it's paying a monthly dividend so we see that coming in and it's it's close to six percent but then the but he probably pays that even if he's losing money. I mean, it would be too early, right? I mean, like you're just buying stuff at this point or, or doing due diligence yeah, on that, stuff. So that, that one, the fun we're in, because there's a couple different versions of it, but it has, I believe, five properties in that fund. I think three, mm-hmm. are, three are in South Florida, one's in Texas, and one, I believe, is in Tennessee. Fascinating. He's, he's buying a lot in the Southeast right now. Hmm. He's still bullish on multifamily. Yeah, I mean, he 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 goes. He's buying stuff like his philosophy is buying in places where people are moving that are business friendly, and he he looks for rents that he doesn't think will get hurt in a recession. So, like the average rental rate in a, a most of the properties in the fund is around fourteen to fifteen hundred dollars. Hmm. hmm. That's really cool. The wrong tribe confounds, the right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. So uh, let's talk about your health. What is, how much do you weigh? I am 198 right now. What's your body fat? 16%. And uh, so what's your diet like? So it's, it's mostly uh, proteins and, and, and vegetables, you know, dark greens, that kind of stuff. I try to avoid sugars, grains, uh, rice, all that kind of stuff. So just really meat and vegetables. And I, I do uh, 
I do Ironman races. I just did a 50 mile race too a few weeks ago. So mm. I, I try and a, a running race, 50 miles, like a double marathon. Yeah, it was in in the mountains near near Mount Rainier, a place called Crystal Mountain, and it was. So it was a trail run. Yeah, it was a holy dirt. I never. What did that take you? How long did it take you? Yeah, that was eleven hours and fifty Fuck. minutes or something. Eleven hours, uh, twelve hours. It was long. Is was that the a, hardest race you ever done? It was. It was actually harder than an, any Ironman I've ever done, which surprised me. I didn't think it would be, but the it was the elevation gains. It was like it was like nine thousand feet of up and down. Really? What? So what? Like what was the hard? What was the worst part of it? So it was the the way the layout of the race was structured. It was. You go up mount, uh, one mountain and then back down it. You come back. You're at you're at the, where you started, which is was right around the halfway point. At that point, like 26 miles, and then you go up another mountain. And and that one was like about the same distance as the first mountain, but it was just steeper. Plus, you have 26 miles in your legs already. <laughs> and that, like I was running as hard as I could. My heart rate was at 160 170 which like in a long distance race that's high like you can yeah. usually in an ironman my heart rate's like 150 mm. but but i was only doing like 18 to 20 minute miles but mm -hmm. that's all i could do it was like straight up a, a mountain for eight miles so that <laughs> you're like shuffling your feet yeah that was well and you have poles too you were allowed to use poles. oh you have poles okay and even with the poles and i mean it was just help. brutal like I don't know what, you know, if, if you could measure like how on a treadmill they have, I, I don't know what grade it would have been, but I, I, it felt like a, like an eight or a nine. Or did, did you ever think like, why am I doing this? I did. And, but at that point I was like already past the halfway point. And yeah. Like, You're not well, going to turn around. If I just get to the top, like I know I can go, go pretty hard running down. Cause I actually, yeah, I got some advice from Charlie Engel uh, before I decided to sign up and train for it. And he, he told me to like, work the downhills harder in training because that's more pounding on your legs and he, he kind of said you know your your pace uphill is just going to be whatever it is but but downhill if you really condition your legs to take a pounding you'll, you'll do better so i would you know i went from doing like 18 20 minute miles going up to on the way back down i was doing like eight minute miles wow okay so you were riking, like Tim Rhodes says, you were just rolling down the hill. And uh, like, how long did it take the final person, you know? Close to 15, I think. They, they okay. technically cut it off at 14. So, but if you made the last, it's an interesting part about these races, if you made the last aid station cut off, like there was no way they could really go drag you out of the woods, like him mm -hmm. there in the finish. So. Like some people were finishing in, in 15 or just over. So are you going to do it again? I, th I think I will. My, my next big race is going to be an Ironman again in Florida at the end of this year. But I, th I, I think I'll, I'll eventually do a hundred miler. Wow. I don't That's know why. Awesome. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What, uh, uh, what, okay. So let's talk a little bit about uh, giving back. How do you give back? Yeah, so we, we have uh, a couple different charities that we work with. Uh, so we, we give money to uh, Doorways for Women and Children. Around It's a charity that helps uh, women and children uh, in our area. And then we've, we've partnered with a couple different military 
and veteran charities as well. One is the Travis Mannion Foundation. So that was a, a charity founded uh, based on a real life story and a book that was uh, written about it, about two people from the Naval Academy. They were class of 2004, so two years behind me. They, they both, uh, one was a Marine, one was a Navy SEAL, and they, they both got killed. Uh, mm-hmm. One in Iraq, one in Afghanistan, and then now they're, they're buried side by side at Arlington National Cemetery. So the, Travis Mannion was one of them. The other was Brandon Lumi, and they, they, they founded a, a charity called Travis Mannion Foundation. So we've given uh, money and time to, to both of those. What, is, what does it do? So they, 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 they help veterans, basically, any and all, all veterans. So they, they, they look at, you know, helping them transition once they're out of the military, helping surviving spouses and children. And, and you know, they, they, they help a lot of different uh, veterans in a lot of different ways. Yeah, that's cool. All right, cool. So um, how's, been, how's your quest uh, been in learning the uh, digital marketing world? I know like a hyperfast agent is moving really fast and you guys done a lot of things in a short period of time. And, uh, and, and I, I know there's like so much to learn in that world. Personally, I've, I've learned, you know, a lot really fast myself. What, what are you learning? What advice do you have for people listening? Yeah, you have to be patient with it. One, there's, there's a huge kind of growth curve and, and hockey stick. And, you know, it seems like we're always, to the point where like it's, it's, it's about to take off, right? It's just around the corner. That um, damn hockey stick. Yeah. yeah. I hate it when, when private equity funds and, and stuff like that talk about the hockey stick, the hockey stick, it's almost like cliche, but yeah, no, no, but, but I, I think it's a great motivator for sure. But I, I know the feeling. So it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's just very time intensive. I, I wouldn't do it until your primary thing is, like really established and doing and doing well and making money. Cause you, you know, if you want to make it big in it, I, I think you got to be okay with not making money for a while and, and, and it taking a lot of your time. Like it's not, it's not as easy as a lot of people try to make it seem. And, and there's and a lot, a lot of, like, of people. I know you mean, you mean a lot of the gurus in the space. Yeah, a lot of the gurus in the space make it seem like it's going to happen overnight, and the digital marketing agencies make it seem like it can happen quick. And you know, maybe the bigger digital marketing agencies have had hundreds of clients, and three or four make it big, and those are the ones they they, they talk about. But I just I just think it, it it takes a lot of time. But but really, anything where you're going to be successful typically does, right? I mean, it's hard to. It's it's hard. For it's me. very true. It's very true. But but it's one of those things where you don't you won't get paid. You know, it's kind of like that hockey sticker getting zero or the money that you make you you you're spending. You know, for a long time. Right. Uh, before the hockey stick starts going. With but if you're like in real estate sales or flipping or something, at least you're going to get paid on the first that deal that closes. You know. <laughs> yep. And and you you. You have to be patient not only with getting it to work, but just with people as well, because you're going to be exposed to a lot more people, and you'll you'll really this is going to sound terrible, but you're going to realize how dumb people are. Like, and it's 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 a good thing because if if there wasn't right, we'd all be equal, I guess. But like, people will literally you'll you'll they'll say like, "What is this? I never bought this thing," and 
blah, 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 send an email, and then you can go back to the CRM, look at the history and be like, well, I sent you this email, you clicked on this link, then you went to this page and clicked on this button and put in your credit card. Like it's, it's not fraud, you, you did that, right? Like, hard <laughs> yeah. to fake that. And it's always user <laughs> error. <laughs> it's like 95% of the time. I don't, I don't know why they're, you know, if you <laughs> stole your credit card, they're not gonna go buy a buy You can't order. do customer service, dude. You, you just gotta put that on somebody else. And Yeah, well, I, I, I don't. Someone else does that <laughs> for us, but it's, it's like, so, you know, I'll still see him sometimes or, or hear about him. It's just like, yeah, people buy it and then they're like, I didn't buy that. And they're like, yes, yeah. you did. Or people will be, you know, be getting charged, especially on the monthly fees. They'll be getting charged $97 for like six months. And they'll be like, what is this? You're like, dude, yeah. you've, been, you've, been, you've had it for six months. That's, that's my, <laughs> the other, the other uh, kind of interesting thing about it is the, the biggest challenge is once you get someone into a training program or something you're trying to do is getting them to actually use it. That's by far the number one reason for cancellations or refund requests is they just never log They in. don't. That's what, that's what happened with me too. You know, they don't, there's like 20% use it. And, and I mean, yeah. And then and we, we feel we, bad. You know? I mean, we've got a series of emails and, and, and things to uh, get them to use it. But then we also, like we actually have a person on the team call after every purchase and try and talk to them and, and we still get people are like, what is this? <laughs> I guess you have to get to the level of like a, a, a book. Like, like they say that 80 some percent of people that buy a book don't get past chapter one. And as an author, you don't sit there and go like, oh, you know, why aren't these 80% you know, reading it? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, because you don't care because they already paid for it. So I guess you just have to have that same sort of mentality like, I'm not going to worry about that 80%. You know, that's, that's what happens as long as somebody's reading it and giving me a review on it. And, you know, it's hard to do though. You know what I mean? Because you want them to experience the product. You right. want them to do what you say, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you got to put all the, the good shit up front, I guess, uh, in a book or <laughs> in a course or, or anything you do because like 90% of the people or charge something like, or, or create, create something that they have to use or that they, you know, software, other things that they use and the, the education arm of things, you know, you have to force people and people, unfortunately, much people just still to this day prefer to, you know, just learn by going to seminars and events and stuff, right? They'll learn more in one day than they will all year. Yeah. And, and so we do that too. We did that last year with, with Grant Cardone. We did like a, a five hour event this year in November, we're doing a, a, a two day event. And uh, so we've, we've got Ryan Sirhant coming to that. Billy Jean is going to come and then we've, we've probably got about 10 other, other people as well. So we're, we're, we're doing that. And, and the event really last year is what most people still kind of remember. And the people that went to that really had, amazing feedback and, and, and loved it. So we're, we're excited to do, do that again. And yeah. On a bigger scale. That's awesome. So let's talk about your future. Like where, where, what do you want your life to look like in 10 years? Still trying to figure that one out. So we've, we've got a desire. I know Carrie and I do to, to be in Florida longer, longer term, uh, to be down there, to live there. How old are your kids? They are four, 
almost four, almost two, and four months. Okay, so let's just say four, two, and one. So 14, 12, and, and 11, right? Yeah. 14, 12, and 11. You, what, you want them going to Florida schools or you want them to go to D.C. schools? We're, we're, make a decision. I, I think we're going to go, go private route or, or actually hire. Yeah, in what state? Teacher. I, I, I think we'll, we'll want to travel and, and be able to have them. Oh, so you're going to do like homeschooling? Yeah, potentially. I, I'm not 100% sold on it. And, and we, we clearly have more thinking to do on this. But I, I do know in general, I, I, I feel like the private school experience is better. But then, then I look at the tuition numbers on it. And I'm like, well, if we have three kids, like I could just hire a teacher for the cost of sending one of them to private schools and have them teach all three and have more flexibility. So I'm, I'm sort of thinking about going down that, going down that, that route, like homeschool, but with a private person in charge of it. And, and just have no, no, nothing holding you back and then just travel other countries and do bucket list items as a family and kind of do that. Uh, what Amucha Stegi does. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a great example. I, I love what he's doing, but we, yeah, Carrie and I need to spend more time iron, ironing this out. So this, this is maybe a, 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 a I, don't, I wouldn't say blind spot that we have because we know it's out there and we've been. Yeah, and you're going to hit preschool soon on the four-year-old. I mean. Tossing ideas around. Yeah, he goes to a, uh, last year he went to a two, two half days a week and he's doing the same thing this year. So uh, up, up here. But, and even, even them, it's just kind of funny. Like we would travel and, and go somewhere for a week and, the teachers would be like, well, he's getting behind and I'm like, what? <laughs> like coloring and, and like, I just, I just he's getting behind and finger painting. Like they, they bring in this evaluator and they, they watched him and three other kids for uh, like a few minutes and were like, you know, gave him scores on different areas. Stupid, like, right? Like gross motor skills. Like this is just, an example. <laughs> they, they, they marked him as like below average. But he's he's already riding a, a bicycle, with no training wheels. You know, at three years old, and they're telling me his gross motor skills are are not where they need to be. And and that to me was just like, well, fuck! If, if they can't get something that obvious, right? Like, is is, is it even worth looking at the, any of the, the rest of this evaluation? Right. They're just they're trying to justify the money that they're getting paid to. to I mean, who does that anyways? Why? I mean, like, why? You know, I mean. You, you don't know how people are turning out till they're freaking 20, I mean, 20 something years old. I mean, look yeah. at you, 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 you know, I mean, up until like a certain day you were going to work for a consultant, you know, with your Naval background, right? right. And now look at you. Now you got three companies that have nothing to do with what you were talking about in the Navy. Yeah. I mean, it's, I just, I don't, I don't have much confidence in the entire education system, I guess. And so I'm not sure how we're going to navigate this or tackle it, but I'm still searching. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, all right, Dan, so let's wrap this up with um, uh, a deep question from our GoBundance app. You okay with that? Sure, let's do it. Let me pull up the app and hit GoBundance card game, create random questions. Okay. What is your earliest childhood memory? What is your most cherished childhood memory? Ooh. Earliest one, it would go back to my time in, in 
Arkansas. So I just, I remember like little bits and pieces, but what typically stands out there is like playing in the snow just because like we didn't, you know, when I was five, we moved to Florida and I don't think I saw snow again until I was in college. So um, I just, I remember like building a snowman with my dad, like my brother, like he was three years younger, like crying because his, his glove fell off. And, like, <laughs> like Crying. Stands out to me. His finger fell off because it was frostbit. <laughs> uh, most, most cherished though, I think is, is, uh, you know, when we were in Florida, I remember like every Friday we would, after school, my mom had one of those old station wagons and she'd like load us all up, take us to the beach. And we would just play in the beach for like two or three hours until it got dark and then, you know, get McDonald's on the way home or something. That was, I just remember doing that a lot. And, and, and from early childhood that, that stands out as something that was always, always fun and uh, probably a little nerve wracking for her watching four people, four kids all running around on the beach and, you know, there were waves and all that stuff, but we all, we all made it. So it worked. <laughs> well, the interesting thing, right, is your, your, your prized and cherished moments that you remember basically were free. One had to do with snow, yeah. which is free. And one had to do with a beach, which is free. And maybe sometimes we put too much emphasis in like trying to spend money and, Chuck E. Cheese and all these electronics and all this stuff to give our kids memories, but what they really cherish is just, just being outside and running around outside in nature. Yeah, spending time. Yeah, and, I, and I'm and I'm probably guilty of that from from time to time, or just not putting technology away so that I can be more present when we are doing stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, your mom had it figured out. Sounds like. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Well, listen, this has been great. I appreciate you coming on and being so candid. And guys, if you're ever in the D.C. area, Northern Virginia, definitely look up Dan. And I'm going to put all of Dan's information in the show notes, guys, if you want to reach out to him and uh, say what's up. Yeah, I'd love to connect. Thanks again for having me on, Pat. In life, to be honest, I failed as much as I've succeeded. But I love my wife. I love my life. And I wish you my kind of success. Don't step to me, don't step to me, bitch. Now you can create-